0: Hi, my name is Vanessa Demetrius and I am the P2Targeted Programs Advisor working at State Office and I'm joined today by Janice. Hi Vanessa and hi listeners. My
1: name is Janice Gorry and I'm the P2 Initiatives Officer based in Moree.
0: And we have devised a number of podcasts around the subject of how students become literate in the preschool to U2 age groups. Today's podcast is about the oral language development of children and how it is shaped by their early experiences and interactions with peers and adults, and also considering how we as teachers can build an understanding of the child and help them to develop. The title we have given to today's podcast is Oral Language Development and Tuning In. This title has been based on the research from Dana Susskind. She emphasises the three T's, tuning, talk more and take turns as ways of interacting to build students' oral language skills. This is important as it is often stated that there is a huge gap between the oral language skills of children due to prior experiences and exposure. I think a good starting point for today, Janice, would be defining oral language. Yeah, Vanessa,
1: that's something that we can really think about, isn't it? Because it really consists of groups and combinations of words. And it's a prime means of communication between people. And it's not not only the only means of communication, because we have gestures and expressions. And we can break it down into expressive and receptive language. What do you think, Vanessa?
0: Yeah, I think it is a great consideration to think of that language is not just about communicating orally. It's also about the interactions, but it's also about... Um, the listening as well. It's um, yeah, you know, have to be able to listen well and understand language to be able to interact with language as well. So you know, it's that whole um, it's a whole scheme of things. It's not just about you know communicating orally.
1: Yeah, because it's amazing when we talk about uh, it consists of groups of words and how those groups of words come together. And I mean, you think about it from zero to five how does that happen so if we look at the whole child and think about um particularly if we can perhaps think about the zero to five and the brain is really um at a place where it's ready so ready to learn language
0: i think that whole um concept of um brain development and and being in in the early years is quite an interesting concept um when we're thinking about um, development of students orally, because it really is how children are interacted with from a very, very early age. That really is an important aspect that we need to consider here, because the more interaction with a more knowledgeable other really shapes the student's development or children's development over time. So knowing that, I think, you know, we can key into some of um, Nathan Wallace's um, research here and some of his thoughts, thinking about the importance of the thousand days and the journey and the neurodevelopment of children. Um, earlier on. And, you know, that whole concept of that um, learning processes for thought is more important than knowing and learning things too. I think it's that concept of while they're young and their brains are forming, let's help and encourage students and children to understand this process of learning and interacting um, orally and extending that.
1: Yeah, because it's the richness of the experiences and having those prolonged responsive interactions within those experiences. And those experiences must be responsive so that the children have that ability to engage with the content and they can process the content so that they understand.
0: Mm. I think that's a really important point, And I think it's really nice to think about experiences that children are engaged in and interested in and motivated to learn about at that point in time too because I think that helps children to understand um, better than something that's you know I I sort of think about it you know when you see that lovely interaction with a a mother and and a baby and the cueing backwards and forwards and that's a really nice interaction and it's it's not contrived you know when you start to see these contrived situations like we're saying with the um Nathan Wallace work where you know when ch- um, children learn to wrote it's not really you know a degree of processing in the brain that's happening there rather than a quick connection whereas when they're involved in the learning they're interested in it we're going to get more of a, a clearer pathway of learning but more complexity there in how the brain thinks
1: it's the quality of these really um, responsive interaction that builds the young brain and that's ted Mulhoosh, and he was in the epi study that was one of his comments that he said that the interaction builds the brain so that's very significant and and as you said rich interaction And that rich language experience, because he says that makes a difference for children in that zero to five period.
0: Absolutely. And that um, then makes me ponder then, especially from uh, as I'm a primary school teacher, that concept of, you know, what has shaped this child prior to coming to school and, you know, what's the... um, background influences that this child's had in their life so thinking about that concept of family and community shaping um how this child um listens understands and then how they communicate effectively Um, i think it fits well with um you know the um bronfenbrenner who um had that um social theory that you know that we learn within a community of learners and we learn how to um, effectively communicate with where we are positioned within that. And then when we go to school, it's sort of a different level of communicating with people.
1: So we can think about the rich experiences. That's really governed by the culture of the family and the culture of the community. So everyone's experience is not going to be the same, but that doesn't mean they're not rich experiences. And I mean, as the children get older, they will engage with lots of other people in their community and their family. It might be their extended family or they might be in the community. They might be going to a daycare center. They might be going shopping with mum. They'll be be different. And they might be going shopping with mum in inner city Sydney or shopping with mum in rural New South Wales, they'll be quite different. So Mm. the language that they develop and the vocabulary they develop through
0: those experiences, will be different. Mm, Absolutely. And I think, too, it's quite interesting to consider that um, there are different levels of demands of language on children in that, like we're saying, within the household, how they communicate would be different to actually how they go and communicate at the shop or how they communicate with people out in, you know, a different context, how they communicate with other children in the playground. But it also makes me consider about then the differing demands of language when they come to the classroom or they're coming to the preschool. And um, what are your thoughts on that, Janice? Uh,
1: Yeah, because that's another dimension, isn't it? Because we now are putting children in a much more formal situation, and a situation where for some children they have not experienced it. So these experiences that they have are really going to have to be made explicit and they're going to have to be taught the protocols of the experiences. And also then we use language in a very different way at school, don't we, because it's a lot about functions. You know, we talk about um, explaining and Um, challenging and telling stories and you know it's just so different to what they that a child might have experienced at home.
0: Absolutely and I think you know background experience um, shapes how the child interacts but it's also um, like it influences the vocab that they're able to use as well and the vocab of school is um, so different to the vocab that we use when we're communicating with our parents and and family at home. So um, I think as teachers, at times we need to remember that and and really, like we're saying, the the title of the podcast is Tune In and and really think about how to tune into these children and know acknowledge what they're bringing from home but then go well here's the language demands of what we're considering in the school environment and this is what I need to build in, in the children you know by listening to how they are communicating but also thinking about not just are they communicating meaningfully but what vocab are they using how do we need to you know build up that vocab knowledge That's and what right. they need to know
1: And it going back to the tuning in and tuning in it is important for young children whether they're learning the first words or whether they're in school because without tuning in we can't uh, gear our, our instruction or our conversation to that child so we don't want it to be too easy we don't want it to be too hard we want it to be just right and so that's the tuning in that's why it's so important that we know our child and we know about their child and their their background so Mm -hmm. that we can get that teaching spot on for them.
0: Absolutely. It makes me then think the way you just said that, Janice, the Goldilocks, but on top of that, it it always um, makes me think of um, the zone of proximal development as well and really acknowledging that these children are all starting with something um, and it's knowing how to tune in and hear what they are bringing but then knowing well, okay to help this child develop further these are the next steps that we're going to take because that's what sits within their um, learning propensity that we're not making things too hard for students to grasp we're making that just right yeah. <laughs> i think that's, have you got a little story to share with us too james uh,
1: uh, that's right yes i did work work with a little child from bangladesh in a in a child center and of course you know when children um, come into your classes they this little child had spoke her home language she had no english whatsoever and they always say don't they that if they're very competent in their first language then it's an easier shift into their their second language and so i wondered whether this child had the competency in her first language and i travels home on the bus and this little girl was there with her mum, oh my goodness, when I listened to that conversation, she was more than competent in her first language. So that gave me an insight into that bridge then into the second language. So, you know, it, it you can be looking at anywhere, any place to find this information about children, isn't it?
0: Mm, absolutely. And I think that um, being a teacher that is our job to be able to open up those opportunities and i think it's also considering how because i've had students that have come to school and been selective mute so it's how can i open up an opportunity for this child to be able to communicate with me Or maybe even that I see them communicating like you did, Janice, with mum on the bus or that I could see them communicating with other children in the classroom or when they're playing out in the playground. How can I get evidence of what this child is bringing? And for me, um, I always love finding that little way in. But it's knowing, you know what their interests are, what their motivations are. Because I think if we can really pinpoint that in in students and know, okay, what's of interest to them, I think that's the way in to getting students engaged and talking with students when they are engaged and developing language that way.
1: Yeah, the playground's a really great place to, to observe children, isn't it? Because you find out so much more about them. I'm thinking now then um, about in the the classroom, particularly how we create spaces for children to develop their talk. You know, what is it that we need to have in our classroom that will foster talk? Because we do know that oral language is the basis for later reading and writing. And so we need to make sure that platform for later literacy development is solid and and very firm and very supportive of future learning.
0: Oh, absolutely. And within those um, creating spaces, it's nice to have that informal interactive space to work with students as well. Or, you know, like we said before, it could be peers, so they could be working with friends in little spaces and, not that you're going to be hovering over the top of children but that you're listening Mm. and you're aware of what children are saying and bringing to conversations and you know even being that um, role of being the other the knowledgeable other as a teacher but also um, engaging in a way to keep conversations going with children too
1: as i've been reading the literature is telling me that many uh, interactions in the classroom Uh, the IRE is the initiate respond evaluate and that doesn't allow the environment for children to do a lot of talk or to to have that sustained talk
0: Mm. so that
1: might be just a pondering point for people to think about are there periods of sustained conversation where where children use their language for functional purposes like questioning and um Mm
0: -hmm.
1: interacting and uh, um expanding on information describing
0: it's quite interesting you say that um janice because sometimes i've reflected on my teaching as well and it's like have i actually allowed opportunity for children to ask questions or, you know, expand on their knowledge? Or am I actually opening, uh, you know, asking open-ended questions as well? Because I do think sometimes in the classroom, we tend to get into a bit of a habit where we know we've got information we need to share. And we tend to ask questions just to, you know, get a response and it's like, to, when you get to that point, you do start to ask those closed questions, which I guess we can all put our hands up to sometimes. <laughs> we go, oh. but it is that you know asking those open-ended questions as well, and allowing to children to respond in the the way that they want to respond, and you know really you know making note of that response as well. I think that's a good point,
1: and Vanessa, I don't think you are alone in thinking about your classroom and, and what you do because you are under a lot of pressure.
0: As teachers, I think it's really important to use reflective practice, as well as consider how we can extend our students' oral language. Bridie Rabin, in her article, Talk to Think, Learn and Teach, says children do not learn language by imitation. They learn to talk by talking to people who talk to them people who make efforts to understand what they are trying to say. I really think this is an important part that um, we acknowledge um, what children bring to school and we work with that and develop that in the classroom. So who are you now wondering about in your classroom um, that you're unsure about their oral language skills? And what opportunities could you offer in your classroom to take note of the oral language of your students? So remembering that the child needs to be engaged in something that they're interested in to learn about for you to really take a good note of um, the oral language that your students hold and control independently. I think oral language is such an important aspect and it's great to reflect upon and I've loved um talking to you about it Janice until next
1: time Vanessa we'll sign off
0: bye thank you bye